Let's go to God's Word to John chapter 3. This is found on page 887. If you have one of the pew Bibles there in front of you, if you've been with us, you know we're working our way through the Gospel of John, which Jesus has written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life in his name. And in the first couple of chapters, we've seen the introduction of Jesus' ministry. And as we come to John chapter 3, we find Jesus' first sermon. And it's uh, to an audience of one. And uh, John does this really fascinating uh, job of toggling between people who respond positively and negatively. Uh, Back and forth he goes uh, with one story and another. And last time we looked at Jesus cleansing the temple there in broad daylight. We thought about uh, the sense of terror there must have been for the one who was selling pigeons in the temple. As uh, Jesus would have looked him in the eye. And uh, Jesus, uh, John concludes uh, that uh, section of chapter 2 by saying that Jesus uh, knew all people and uh, he didn't entrust himself to people. But as you'll see here, then the story immediately turns to uh, there being a, a certain man, a man of the Pharisees who Jesus interacts with. And so uh, we're going to to turn to read these first eight verses of chapter three. In one sense, this is half of Jesus' uh, dialogue here with Nicodemus, uh, but we're going to look at just the first half this week. Let's pray before we uh, read God's word. Lord, we thank you that you've given us your word, and we thank you that uh, Jesus has come and he has spoken to us. We pray that uh, we would see Jesus even here this morning. And we thank you that you promise that we will as we look to you by faith. So we ask all this in his name. Amen. This is God's word. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Thus ends this reading of God's holy word. We pray that he would write it on our hearts today and forever. In South Sudan, where the Smiths will return in just a couple of weeks, if you want to have a meeting of any significance, you do it at night, under cover of darkness. Because virtually everyone there walks from one place to another, and it means that in broad daylight, everybody knows everybody's business. And you can't just say, I want to have a personal conversation with someone about something significant and you each get in your cars and you drive to some designated spot and you meet there without anyone else knowing about it. Everybody knows if two people get together to meet. 
And so what we have here in John chapter three is this man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. The Pharisees were the leaders and he's not only a Pharisee, but Nicodemus is a ruler of the Jews. The indication here is that he's a member of the Sanhedrin. That was the the ruling council of the day. And uh, it would be somewhat equivalent to being something like a senator in our day. So he was a man of no small standing. And he comes to Jesus by night. And he pays Jesus quite a compliment. He says, we know that you are a teacher come from God. Because nobody could do the signs that you're doing unless you were sent from God. So we know you're from God, or at least that God is with you. And he was pleading then with Jesus. We don't know exactly what his question was, but here's a man who uh, was, was very well educated. He was a theologian in Israel, and it seems that he wanted to know what most of the Pharisees were interested in in a case uh, like this. He wanted to know how to sharpen his beliefs so that he could be more orthodox. He was looking for instruction, perhaps, on how to better order his life in order to be a more faithful disciple of Yahweh. He he was looking for those things that he could do. Uh, He was exploring how it was that he might uh, better fall in line with the instructions that were given by God. But what does Jesus do? He takes and he turns the conversation in the direction he wants it to go because he sees that there are things that Nicodemus needs to know and needs to understand. And so in verse three, Jesus says plainly, truly, truly. And that repetition shows the importance of the matter. And J.C. Ryle says of this passage, there there are a lot of things you may not necessarily need to know if you're going to go to heaven, but the things that are contained in this passage are things that you most certainly need to know, otherwise you'll be on the broad road to destruction. So Jesus says, look, this is stuff that is priority. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus pushes back. He says, well, how how can this be? How can a person be born again? And children, you understand this. You think I'm supposed to be born again? I I know how people are born. There are little babies inside the womb right now of mothers of this congregation. And all of you were once in your mother's womb. Does this mean you somehow have to climb back in again in order to be born when you're old? And Nicodemus is wrestling with this. And so Jesus says it again in verse five, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. It's a, another way of saying the same thing. And so he goes on then to reiterate this even further in verse seven. He says, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So what is it we want to accomplish today? We want to explore here what it means that we must be born again. But you'll notice that really the only imperative in the passage is there in verse 7. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. So this is our goal, that you would not marvel that Jesus said, you must be born again. Now, it may sound like this is a formula 
for Jesus giving permission for a boring sermon. Don't marvel. Don't be amazed today at the things you're going to hear. But Jesus needed to say these to Nicodemus because he was someone who should have understand, understood, but who didn't understand. So what is it that we need to not marvel at in that Jesus would say, you must be born again? We're going to look at the who, what, where, when, why, and how of what it means to be born again. So we're going to begin by asking this question, who is it that needs to be born again? We'll look again at the words of Jesus. Back in verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he says it again to Nicodemus in verse 5, unless one is born again. And then in verse 7, you, that is you all, must be born again. And of course, Jesus is saying this to Nicodemus. We have certain connotations that come with the the phrase born again in our culture. It was a a phrase uh, that was popularized in 1976 because uh, then-candidate Jimmy Jimmy Carter, a candidate for president, declared himself to be a born-again Christian. And uh, then shortly after that, uh, Chuck Colson, who had been part of the Watergate scandal, wrote a book about his experience, and the title of the book was Born Again. And the title, or the phrase then really took off in modern culture and very often today contains this idea of a certain kind of person, a person who's had a certain religious experience or a person who follows a certain set of rules or uh, even in many cases uh, has a certain political way of thinking. And the pollsters speak about those who are born again Christians. R.C. Sproul points out that that is something that is always from the Department of Reduplication Department. Uh, What Jesus is saying here is you can't be a Christian, you can't see the kingdom of God without being born again. Who is it that needs this? It is everyone. But specifically in context, who is it that needs it here? It's Nicodemus. It's the most religious people. It's it's not that what you need is a new rule book to be given to you. That's what Nicodemus wanted. But what Jesus is saying here is that every single person, in order to see the kingdom of God, needs a new heart. And we'll look more at what this is in a little bit. But one of the things we need to see here, as Tim Keller says, is that this is not a call to a moral and a religious structure, but rather a challenge to it. Jesus isn't isn't saying that you need to be born again, meaning you need to follow the rules more closely. Or you need to have an experience that will enable you to do that. No, he's saying that you need to be challenged in your way of thinking, Nicodemus. You need a different way of operating. You, each of you, needs to understand that apart from whatever Jesus is talking about here, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Children, this is important for you who are born in the household of God. 
We know and we understand that the visible church is something very significant. God gives his covenant promises to you, his people. But Jesus is is pushing beyond just these external things and he's telling us something significant about the way the world works and about the way you and I are created. There is something that needs to happen inside of us if our relationship with God is to be rightly restored. You must be born again. Well, that is the who. And of course, this is something that you shouldn't marvel at, right? This shouldn't take you by surprise because this has been what the whole Old Testament has been all about. God in Deuteronomy chapter 30, uh, verse 6, he talked about how the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. Jesus is not presenting a new idea. Nicodemus should have grasped this already. Who is it that needs to be born again? You need to be born again. I need to be born again. We must be born again. What then does it mean, secondly, to be born again? Uh, Nicodemus, of course, puzzles over this, as we've already suggested. He says, well, does this mean I got to climb back in my mother's womb and and be born a second time? And, And this is the Rational question. Uh, one time we were teaching a class here and there was uh, someone who was visiting and this person was, was actually sitting on the front row and someone was teaching on John 3 and this person didn't know the story of Nicodemus but just heard Jesus' first question. The person raised their hand and said, that basically that sounds crazy. Are you, are you telling me that I have to climb back inside my mother and be born all over again? Yes, that's, that's, the person is reading this correctly. You're supposed to be thinking in that kind of way. What on earth can this mean? Because it is utterly illogical to think about. And, and mothers, you understand this, right? If you've given birth to a child, you see the child grow, you say, no, that cannot mean, that cannot be what Jesus means. He has to mean something else. And again, this is important because uh, for Nicodemus, he, he was thinking of, being religious, being a list of doing the right things. The Talmud, uh, religious instruction of that time said, you're, you're going to uh, be part of the kingdom, that kingdom that would come. You'll have eternal life if you act rightly and believe. And basically the, the Talmud taught, if you just avoid great wickedness and you avoid apostasy, that is just don't believe the wrong thing, just hold the orthodox beliefs, you'll be fine. And Jesus is cutting right through that way of thinking. And he's saying to Jesus, you've got to be born again. You have to come to life a second time. You must be regenerated. That word generation is the same concept of being born. You have to have it again. And this, of course, cannot come by human striving because it's impossible, as Nicodemus points out, for us to do this again. It can't simply be a new brokenness or a new humility. It can't be just a a desire to start over again where God says, well, just give you a clean slate because what would happen if, if God were to do that for us? We would simply fail over and over and over again. So John Calvin says it is not an amendment of the part that is needed, but a renewal of the whole nature. It's got to be a complete transformation. What's the problem here? The problem is that we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And this is clear through the whole of the Old Testament, which is why this shouldn't be anything of surprise to you. Not anything amazing. 
nothing for you to marvel at. But what does it mean for us to be born again? Well, it's clearly here, as we see in verse 5, uh, we're to be born of the water and, of, and, and the Spirit. And there's a lot of debate about what those words mean, and we'll maybe explore that more in just a, a little bit. But just note for now that these are really metaphors for the same, water and the Spirit. Uh, we are, are called to be renewed by the Spirit of God. It's, it's something that God has to work in us to give new life in our hearts. There are uh, several ways in which this is experienced, and I, I appreciate the way Tim Keller puts it in terms of there being two things by which we can identify uh, the new life, the new birth that the Lord gives to us. Uh, the first is sensibility, and the second is identity. So there are new sensibilities that come to us. And uh, Archibald Alexander uh, talks about how this is going to be true for us, both in heart and in mind. Now you think about uh, new babies as they come into the world and they're born, all of a sudden they become aware of new uh, sensitivities. They're able to sense things with their five senses that they weren't able to sense before. Uh, Babies feel the cold of the room into which they are born. And, and these little things, they've been in a hot tub essentially for nine months. They come out, they sense something new, something different. They also have a, a new sense of sight. They've been in the dark all this time. But what happens? Their eyes are opened and they're seeing new things. And Jesus says that those who experience the new birth will see the kingdom of God. There are other things that babies sense now for the, faith, for the first time, a sense of taste and of, of smell. They are able to hear in new ways as well. And this is what happens for uh, the person who is born of God, born of the spirit of God. All of a sudden, things that you were not aware of before, you become aware of. And again, this is in heart and mind. Augustine talked about how our being born again means a reordering of our loves. All of a sudden, the way you feel about things changes. You used to love the things of this world. You used to crave affirmation in your relationships. You used to have a longing for physical possessions in this world. You used to have maybe a longing for knowledge But now God has given you a love for something new, a love for God himself, because you've seen something of what God has done for you. And now you begin to know and understand that when we talk about God's love, it's not something that's just off in the abstract, but you really begin to sense that God loves you. You see the the new sensibility that you have. And it's not only a new sensibility of of your heart, but it's a new sensibility of mind. There are things in the scriptures that you just didn't understand before, but now you see it. Maybe it's a passage that you read a thousand times and it didn't make any sense to you. But once you've experienced new birth in Jesus Christ, all of a sudden, you understand. There uh, is this story that's told over and over again of 
people who grow up in the church and they'll grow up to share their testimony and it goes something like this. I grew up in a church where I didn't hear the gospel being preached. Uh, Then some point later in life, I was uh, in a different environment and I, I heard the gospel and I responded in faith. And what's our instinct? Our instinct is to say what's really a sad thing that there are so many churches out there where the gospel isn't being preached. But it wasn't that long ago that I was in a setting where someone who had grown up in this congregation under my preaching was sharing a testimony to a larger congregation and said, you know, I grew up in a congregation where I didn't hear the gospel being preached. There's another story, however, that I've heard of a man who had this kind of an experience and he was converted in the military. It was there under the ministry of a chaplain that he came to faith in Jesus Christ and he thought back to all of the the church experiences that he's had and he said to the, the chaplain, he said, you know, one of my great griefs in life is that just nobody preached the gospel to me as it really and truly is. He says, and the thing I can't understand most of all is why Martin Luther himself didn't preach the gospel. And this chaplain said, what what do you mean? He said, well, for one of my classes, I had to read Luther's commentary on the book of Galatians and he didn't preach the gospel there either. And the chaplain said, well, you know, now that you've been converted, maybe you should go back and you should read Luther on Galatians all over again. Okay. So he got out Luther's commentary and he started underlining page after page after page after page. What was Luther doing? He was preaching the gospel. And this reminds us that there are people in churches all over America and around the world that are not hearing the gospel preached today in gospel preaching churches. And here's the thing that's interesting. This is why Jesus says this so forcefully in this passage. You must be born again. I want to say that to those of you who are dead in your trespasses and sins right now, and maybe you can't hear it. But I want you to know that right now, I am praying for you, even as I preach. And there are other people sitting around you who are praying for you. You must be born again if you are to see the kingdom of God. And that requires a miracle. It requires the miracle of regeneration. So that the sensitivities of your heart are experienced in new ways and of your mind so that you come to understand who Jesus really is. You must be born again. But there's not only that new uh, sensibility that we have, there's also a new identity. The, The imagery of birth implies what? Well, that you're born into a new family. And so you don't just have these new experiences of heart and mind, but you're set into a new community. It's not simply an individualistic experience. And the the reality of Jesus' teaching here in this passage uh, lines up very closely with John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. So turn and look there. It says that to all who did receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, 
nor of the will of man, but of God. So what this passage is saying is you don't come into this by virtue of your lineage, just the family that you're born into from an earthly standpoint. Nor do you come into this because you made the right decision of your own will. This only comes to pass by the will of God. And this is important because if you could come into it just simply by by being born into a particular family, you would find your whole identity wrapped up in that. Or if you could come into it simply by the decision that you make, you would take pride in that and that would be part of your identity. And you would find that those things fail you eventually because your family will fail you. Your community will fail you. The decisions you make will fail you. This can only come about by the will of God. But when it does come about that way, you have a new identity and you have a a new sense of God's love for you such that you become a whole new person. But again, this is the whole plan of salvation that's laid out for you in the Old Testament. So you shouldn't marvel that Jesus would say this, that you must be born again. This should be no surprise to you. Well, thirdly, when does this happen? When does it happen? Well, if you look at uh, verse 8, you see that the wind blows where it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. We can't make this happen. We don't know when it happens in the lives of other people at a particular juncture in particular, but it must happen while you're still living here on earth. Because as Martin Luther has said, if you are a person who is only born once, you'll die twice. But if you're born twice, you'll only die once. It has to happen. There is a a limit here. There's a time frame and it has to happen within your lifetime. And we're dependent upon the spirit of God to blow, to bring this to pass. But there's another element of the timing that's Something that should not surprise us, but it's real. And it has to do with the fact that this is not something that is of this age. There's actually an inbreaking from the future age. When is this salvation from? When is this new life from? Well, it is from the future in a certain sense. Uh, again, Tim Keller points uh, this out. He, he talks about how uh, the concept of renewal or regeneration is not only a personal concept, but Jesus says that he's going to be, bring about the regeneration of the whole world. You see that in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28. And when will that be fully realized? Well, it's going to be fully realized when Jesus is sitting on his throne at the last day. And we see a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And the word that's used there is that word for regeneration. But then Paul speaks the same way of what the Lord does in us. He saved us, not on the basis of works which we've done in righteousness, but by the washing of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. That is the same word. The regeneration that Jesus is bringing about fully and finally on the earth breaks into our hearts in the present. And there is a sense in which all that will be seen becomes ours in part, but truly ours now. When does it have to happen? Well, it has to happen in your life, but it is something that is out of season. And that's beautiful. 
But again, this isn't surprising to us because all through the Old Testament, there were promises of the eternal kingdom that we would see and do see even now by faith. And where does this happen? Well, it has to happen in the hearts of God's people. There are a couple of different things that need to happen for us to have our relationship be restored with God. There is what happens outside of us through the work of Jesus, and we'll see more of that next week. But Jesus doesn't sit on his kingdom, on his throne in his kingdom and bring about the regeneration of the world without going to the cross first and then rising from the dead. That is what we call the history of salvation, what he has done in time past. But this passage is uniquely concerned here with what has to happen inside you. It's something that has to occur within your very being. And the Holy Spirit brings this to pass. It is a redemption that is accomplished in our hearts. So for our alienation with God to be restored, there has to be the work of Christ in history, but it has to be made ours as the Lord resolves our corruption. He takes out our heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh. But again, you know your Old Testament, and this is not something that is a marvel to you. We shouldn't marvel that Jesus said this would be true. And why then is this true? Fifthly, well, it is because of corruption and death. Nicodemus comes at night, and in the book of John, darkness is used mostly in a moral sense, a spiritual sense. And as D.A. Carson says of Nicodemus here, his own night was darker than he knew. And left to yourself, your night is darker than you know too. It's something that you can't break out of by yourself. We have been so gripped by sin that the only thing that will help us is, the only thing that will save us is the work of the Holy Spirit coming to us. That's the why. Because we are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. We need to be cleansed from our worst sins and from our corruption. But again, this is what we've sung about in Psalm 51. There's nothing surprising or to marvel at here. And then sixthly, how? Well, we've reflected on this some already, but we can't do it. We're utterly helpless without the Spirit of God. This must be by the sovereign power of God alone. Look again at verse 5. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You can't accomplish this in your own power. You cannot be born again by climbing back into your mother's womb or going through any other human exercise. So what is Jesus talking about? What does this mean to be born of water and the spirit? Theologians have wrestled with this for a long time. Is it saying saying you have to be born of a water that is uh, the amniotic fluid and of the spirit a second time? Uh, Some would say, well, maybe it means baptism, that you have to be uh, uh, born of the spirit and you also have to be baptized. But it really seems that... uh, Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37 are what Jesus has in view here. And this is why Nicodemus was rebuked later by Jesus for being a teacher of Israel, but not understanding these things. Turn back to Ezekiel chapter 36. 
Jesus is speaking of his people who've been in rebellion. They've not walked in his ways. They've been carried into captivity. And he promises that he's going to bring them back from captivity, but he's going to bring them back from their darkness and from their death. And so this is what he says in Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. There's the water and you will be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. Children, you you heard about this in the Pilgrim's Progress today as Pilgrim was in interpreter's house, right? He tried to sweep and it just kicked up the dust. What was it that was needed? Well, there was water that was needed to cleanse, to really get rid of the dust. And this is what's needed in your heart. God cleansing you. And so verse 26 goes on to say, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and will cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And then if you jump to chapter 37, there's a very famous story that we reflected on even a few weeks ago where Ezekiel's called to look at a whole bunch of dead bones in a valley. And, he, and he's asked, can, can these bones live? And he says, you know, O Lord. And what is it that begins to happen? Well, there's a wind that begins to blow. And here's the clickety-clack of the bones coming together as God the Holy Spirit brings new life to those who have died spiritually. It is by water and the Spirit. It is the work of the Almighty Holy, sovereign God who brings this to pass. So D.A. Carson says all of this, this, this statement from Jesus, you must be born again. It is not a command to be born, but a forceful description of what is needed. And this does leave us wondering, well, what do I do if I'm not born again? And the answer in one sense is this. Nothing. You can't make yourself be born again. Now, when the Spirit works, what does He do? Tied up with it is the work of conversion. A person who begins to see, they look to Jesus. And again, we'll unpack and explore more of that. But this is what you can do you can pray. And what you can believe is this the words of Jesus who says, Anyone who asks for my Holy Spirit, I'll give it to him. And you should be praying that God would pour his spirit out upon you, that he would give you new life, that he would change your heart, take you from having a cold, stony heart to a heart of flesh. And as we've said, there's, there's really nothing that a person can do, and we shouldn't be amazed if we've read the story. We shouldn't marvel that Jesus would say to Nicodemus, you must be born again. But what can we marvel at? And what should we marvel at? We should marvel that Jesus causes people to be born again. This is the thing that is truly amazing. It is wondrous. And it is beautiful. He did it for Nicodemus. 
We see this later in the book. We see the fruit that comes in Nicodemus' life. First, as he defends Jesus before the council. And then secondly, when Jesus went to the cross and died shamefully as a criminal. What did Nicodemus do along with Joseph of Arimathea? He was willing to be identified with this criminal who had died so shamefully. Because his own heart was changed. His thinking was changed. He had received this new heart. He had been born again, which changed the inclination of his heart and his mind and moved him to action to bury his Savior's body. And Jesus has done this same kind of work and he speaks about it here because he's been doing it through the ages and he still intends to do it yet. How many people have you known who have this story to tell? And children, if you wonder what it's like to be born again, you should talk to your parents and you should talk to other people in the congregation and everyone's experience is different and everyone's experience is the same. For some people, it's a a more gradual process where they uh, come to understand these things. For others, it's uh, more instantaneous and they can recognize the particular moment and discern even in their own heart when it happened. But the simple reality is this, is that it has happened to everyone who has seen the kingdom of God. So don't marvel that Jesus had to say to Nicodemus, you must be born again. But marvel at this. And marvel that you can still expect it in our day that Jesus does cause people to be born again by the power of his Holy Spirit. And thank him if he's done that for you. And worship him because of his grace. And pray and plead that he would be pleased to do it in the hearts of others. So that others too might look back in years to come and say, you know, I don't have to marvel that Jesus had to say to Nicodemus, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. Because I, by the power of his spirit, now see and understand the same thing too. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to hear these words, that we must be born again. Lord, if we don't, we're not going to see the kingdom. And our great longing is to see and to know the power of that kingdom in the present. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for those times where we underestimate the, the power of the Holy Spirit to break into the hearts of people. We underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to change and to transform us by the power of your grace. But we thank you that you do it. And so we pray that you would open our eyes afresh to see this spiritual reality and to be ever grateful for it that one must be born again. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.